Hey everybody, I've got a very special treat for you today. It's a conversation I recorded with my parents this week in Texas, and uh, they're gonna be talking about work. So while they're telling some of their stories about working, they're also gonna be teaching us some of God's principles. So enjoy them, here they are, Roger and Linda, talking about work. What's up, boss? This is Abraham's wallet. We span the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. Well, I'm back with my parents once again. Thank you, Mom and Dad, for joining us on uh, Abraham's Wallet once again. You're welcome. Yeah, glad to be here. Glad to be anywhere, actually. (laughs) For some people, y'all are our favorite guests on Abraham's Wallet, and maybe some people are hearing you for the first time. So I'll just tell everybody I'm here in Houston, Texas. I am here, I'm 48 right now. I'm here in the house that I grew up in. We moved into this house when I was three years old in 1975. And we were watching home movies last night, and it was crazy to see this, the changes this, even this house has gone through over those years, and seeing me and my sister in high school, et cetera. So tell, tell me, how old are you two? Honey, you start first. I'm 77. I'm 81. So you all have heard our uh, poverty series we've been doing, right? You've heard yeah, some of that stuff. Very good. We've talked about you a little bit, Dad, um, who your, your grandpa name is Poppy. And so we've talked about Poppy a couple of times. Um, because you came from the deep end of poverty in a way that Mom didn't, as far as my understanding goes. Okay. And uh, your story, Dad, is that you you started in financial distress, and you are now, we could fast forward to you now, you're kind of enjoying the American dream of retirement, which is you have a golf membership at, at a nice club, you, you play twice a week, you're going to get back into tennis this summer, um, you all have time for grandchildren, and you... You had an RV recently. You're interested in doing an RV again, and y'all are still talking about what were y'all talking about? That some place you wanted to see. You were telling me Hawaii. 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 Talking yeah. about. Hawaii. We haven't haven't been to Hawaii. I, I, I've I've flown over it, but that's about <laughs> it. That's about as close as you got. And so I know that in between that poverty and the kind of retirement that you enjoy, there was a whole lot of pain and hard work. Saving. And, I, and saving. And my, my observation is that the American ethic about work has changed, I think it's changed dramatically in my lifetime. And I know that it's changed dramatically in yours. So I want to get some of your thoughts about work. Well, I'll go first and okay. uh, and uh, give you a little bit of background. Okay. Remember, I was born in the 1940s, and and uh, parents were mill workers. But uh, during that time when I was, uh, I don't know, six, seven, somewhere around that, uh, I used to pick up bottles. You could, you could take... Uh, Pepsi bottles and whatever they were all all back then were glass and you could get like two cents back from uh, deposits on those bottles. I picked those things up and uh, and take, carried them back, sold them to the stores. Uh, I also had a uh, a paper route as a kid uh, with a you know I had a I had a bicycle. Of course, it was a second hand used bicycle sure. I got for Christmas, but I was really glad to get it. And then. Uh, 
I also worked in a little food store down the street, and you know I, I kept it clean. I swept it. I picked up trash. Uh, I helped stock shelves uh, as I got a little bit bigger, and then uh, we moved then from North Carolina to uh, to Texas. Now let's just be practical for a second. Why would an eight-year-old spend his time collecting bottles? Why Why'd you do that? Uh, well, uh, you know, there wasn't such things as uh, uh, phones and and televisions were, uh, I think, very very rare. In fact, I don't I don't ever remember seeing one back then. Uh, back then, the the church uh, and the activities around the church were the entertainment, and so you mm -hmm. you didn't you didn't have anything else. And if you wanted anything, uh, you needed to. To, to earn a few cents to, to buy a, a nickel popsicle or a seven cent drink or whatever. Well, the picture show yeah, was a nickel. Um, there was no such word as an allowance. Nobody got allowances back then from a parent to do a job. Paying you to be house. alive, which is what Rudyard Kipling talked about. Yeah, yeah. at least in, in our way of life back then. You worked at the, you did chores at the house and you, you weren't paid for it. So the, your parents didn't just give you $5 and go, enjoy Never. yourself on $5. <laughs> no, they didn't no, have no, it. No, Because they didn't have it. No, they didn't have it. And, and back then, you know, I, I probably had. Uh, Overhauls with galluses on them that I wore. You didn't wear sh shorts and all the all the uh, uh, t-shirts you see kids with now. I mean, we we had we had a limited wardrobe. I guess is the best way to say. It. You 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 more or less wore work clothes every day. You didn't have play clothes. That's right. And uh, you know you had you had a, a good pair of uh, jeans or whatever for church or for. Uh, going out somewhere with your parents. But okay, so your, your family moves to Texas. This is an interesting story. Why did your family move to Texas? Well, my, my father's brother owned a service station here and uh, said everything was going great. Mill work was, uh, uh, was, you didn't make a lot of money, you made a living. And so he talked my father into coming to Texas and uh, working for him. And uh, we came to Texas, and uh, things went a little bit bad there, and my parents separated, divorced, and... Uh, we know that divorce is financially devastating for children. We know that coming from a divorced family in skyrockets your, race, your rates of depression. They skyrocket the rates of um, your ending up in a life of poverty. Um, I just want to underline what you just said because it's staggering to me for us to try to imagine those days when information was at such a premium and people were so um, atomized and isolated from one another. Your father moved his family across the country from North Carolina to Texas at the prospect of working at a gas station. That's correct. It, we might have a job lined up. So moved, and I, I always think of Steinbeck, and I think of the Grapes of Wrath, and moving from California to Oklahoma as a, maybe there will be a job. It's just, it's yeah. just shocking to, to think of those days. Well, anyway, you know, the stress of, uh, of, uh, of divorcing on, on children also 
most most children think that you know did I do something that might have caused this they they, they feel responsible somehow yeah. and it's it's devastating on kids it takes it takes a lifetime to get over it. I still think about it. Mm-hmm. Was there anything that me as a kid could have done to prevent that? Wow. But, but naturally, you, you couldn't, you know. Yeah. So it's a devastating thing. Yeah. It's, it's more psychologically uh, detrimental to children than anybody understands. And, and you can't experience that until you go through it. Then even the worst poverty, I'll just say, it, it's it's worse than the worst poverty for a child. Uh, poverty, most most children back then who lived in poverty didn't know they were really poor because so everybody was. Yeah, poor. everybody did. You know, on the mill block where we lived, everybody was in the same situation. Yeah, yeah. you know, and uh, we 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 were happy because we. We had clean clothes. The, the floor was clean. Our mother kept us neat right. and everything. So, it uh, it's it's not all bad, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and today is so publicized, uh, and you know, it was different back then than it is now. So, just to establish what some of the beliefs and some of the principles that were ground into you in those days were you had to do for yourself, right? You, you just said that if you wanted a Popsicle, you're going to have to figure out a way to earn money to get a Popsicle. That's the reason yeah. I picked up bottles. Exactly. Right. And secondly, you're telling me that there was still a dignity in your home that had to do with my children are taken care of, we, we look nice, our house is clean, and there was something about what little we had, we stewarded it and took care of it. That's mm-hmm. correct, and I don't think that happens today. Mm-hmm. I think they think, you know, somebody owes me a living. Nobody owes you a living. You know, you, you need to work for what you have. That's, that's the thing today. Uh, I see these, these young kids that are 15, 16, 18 year old. They they want they want as they get up bigger. They want everything that it's taken me forty some odd years exactly right. of working to get, mm-hmm. and they want it now. Yeah, mm-hmm. I deserve this. Yeah, they I want what I'm entitled to. Well, you're entitled to nothing. Bumpkus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nothing. I always think of the um, in the jerk in Steve Martin's movie The Jerk. Jackie Mason is is shocked at uh, Steve Martin wanting a job, and he says, "When I was a kid, you worked your way to the top. And these days, a kid wants to start at the top and work his way sideways." <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that's true. That that's really true. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, after we got to Texas, and they they divorced. My my mother did uh, remarry, but she had to work hard. She she went to work as a barmaid, and during that time, I worked in that little store and and filled up cases and did stacking just like I'd done done before. She was a barmaid, and and we've been to that we've been to that area. I don't think that bar is yeah. still standing. That's off of Hearst Road in our copy Lockwood area. It's uh, uh, back then they had, they had some rough little chain gangs that, uh, that worked the area. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you, uh, if they didn't know who you were, uh, you didn't really want to walk down the street, especially if you had on a nice watch or something. 
after after the parties were over or uh, after after everything uh, was over and down. done well then the next morning well then uh, I cleaned up the little dance hall and and where all the people had uh, thrown up and all of that kind of stuff well I had to I had to uh, clean it all up and today I probably know more old uh, Western country songs than anybody else because I heard them all all weekend for years, a couple he's, of years. He's told me that he would <clears throat> walk to the bar from school and if he had any time he'd do his home, any homework he could on one of the tables and then work and clean up. Then at two in the morning when oh his mama goodness. got off he and his mama would walk home. Mother oh, couldn't. Goodness. Mother couldn't drive and didn't have a car, of course, didn't and couldn't drive. So he and his mama would hold hands, half scared, and walk home at two in the morning, and then get up the next morning and do it all over again. Wow. Yeah, that's true. Okay, well, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but I just want to ask you this question: What do you think? You're talking about young people who who presume that somebody owes them something. What do you think it does inside somebody for the government to just give you a, a, a living wage or give you money that you didn't earn? It's devastating. It's devastating. Uh, that's where this mentality of, of uh, you owe me, you know, uh, I want everything I'm supposed to get. And it, when the government... Uh, wants people to be so dependent upon them that they can control them. That's exactly what happens. It starts at an early age, starts with food stamps and and all kinds of uh, giveaway programs mm -hmm. that the, the government has. Uh, people get used to being given stuff, not having to work for it, and it's uh, it's going to be the the ruin of this country. Do, don't you think too when whether they would admit it or not it you lose your self-respect when you've not earned you anything. didn't stand on your own two feet you stand on somebody that's right sweeping in and You'd be proud of what you, you 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 have nothing to be proud of and you could always finish your job and go this is what i did yeah. and, and this is how i i i earned and, and i'm proud of what i did you know so we've gotten you to about age 12, is that right? Mm -hmm, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. so we're, we're seeing your, your family who was scraping by and who is, uh, because of divorce, in another situation where you're scraping by, your, your, your siblings are getting older, so presumably they're starting to earn some money. Your, your brother's in the Navy. Is that right? He joined the Navy very early. Yeah. He, he he lied to get into the Navy at, Navy at age sixteen, as mm -hmm. I recall. Yep. Now now, mom, at age fifteen, fourteen, thirteen, twelve, what's your situation? Are you working? Well, I would get little tiny jobs with my uncle. He had a cotton patch, and <clears throat> believe it or not, I pick cotton. Um, you don't earn very much because. It's it's just so low paying, and I couldn't drag the sack that when it got too full. <laughs> so, I I probably earned. That was probably the first time I'd ever earned any money. But either. this, but that, if I'm guessing that for you, that was kind of like, well, I, I'm I'm kind of bored. I mean, I guess I could go pick some cotton and make a little money. It wasn't like you were, you had to pick cotton for, to to put food on the table. No, not like him. Okay. 
because your family was, you were in a tiny, dad was in Houston, you were in a tiny Texas town mm -hmm. of like, what, 500 people mm, yeah. in probably Iola at that time? Yeah. Yeah, probably, probably if you count all the old people and, and, <laughs> all the, and dogs. the young babies and the yeah. dogs and, and the cats. big dogs. Yeah. Um, and, and mom, your, your dad was, as far as country living goes, was rather well to do. Yeah, we were probably middle class. Don't you? Upper middle class. Upper middle. He yeah. had a business. He owned the water system, owned and operated the water system uh, in that little bitty town. That's quite a thing to be an entrepreneur back in those mm -hmm. days. Yeah, he really, he really stuck his neck out, and he, and then he eventually bought two other little water systems. Well, that's entrepreneurialism is sticking your neck out. Yeah, and and you had a you had a radio in the family room. Right, and you oh, had, we had we had a record player and a yeah. Mm -hmm. That's nice. Okay, Pop, back to you in in uh, Hard Scrabble, Houston. What 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 did you do next? My mother uh, met her next husband there at at the uh, dance hall. He he was a welder, but he was from this small town where Linda was raised, oh, I, Iola, Texas. He got a call that uh, there was an opening back back in town at one of the large ranches, and uh, because he was a great cowboy, they they had called and wanted him to come go to work for him, and so that's the reason. Then we moved back up to the country, okay. and uh, I started uh, working hauling hay during the hay time, and it, it was hot work, you know, loading loading hay. Okay. By this time, I'm you know I'm I'm a Strapping young 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 guy, and uh, we'd we'd haul hay and uh, put it stacking in tin roof barns, which was really uh, really cool. hot work. And this uh, is basically like apprentice field hand work. Yeah, we'd pick up we'd pick up the uh, the hay and store it in the barn, and then all uh, during during the crop times, uh, I'd chop cotton. I, I picked corn. Uh, I learned to operate a tractor, so I was able to to plow cotton and corn, and uh, did did all of those things. Uh, I uh, I was able to uh, to get uh, a calf or, or a pig and raise it and show it at county fairs and make a little money, you know, sell it, selling that that. So it. Uh, it it was it was very interesting and uh, and I and I, I loved it. Going back to the question about government handouts, the scripture says, "If a man will not work, he will not eat." That's right. Well, and that's exactly the way it should be, that's but that's right. not the way it is today. Right. That's exactly right, right. right. But what I'm seeing is that you, even in school years, so this would be middle school into early high school for you doing this um, right. field labor work. Right. You're working. Um, I know you're working. You, you wouldn't think of it as I'm working to put food on the table, but no. really the economy of your family was such that the money that you earned helped the whole family because even for you to play football or do whatever you're doing with your money contributes to the family's bottom line. Yeah, right. and, and, and uh, you know, a, as a cowboy on a ranch, you're, you're provided a place to live and everything. And so uh, with, with the salary uh, my stepdad made as a cowboy, uh, we, we, we were fine. It, I, I would say we, 
we we got out of poverty to the low, lower level of yeah. <laughs> there was money left over. There was money left over to do a few things that, that we wanted to do. Yeah, it was it was. Uh, Thanks, we're looking good. We have recommended on Abraham's Wallet for people to read the Little Britches series. And I'll recommend it again. And one of the reasons that I have loved reading that series with my children is because it's given me somewhat of some kind of a window into your world of cowboying and field work. And he talks about what he did as a, as a kid and learning all of these skills. Yeah. Learn about harvest time, learn about working with cattle, learn how to handle a horse, etc. Right. Let me just ask you this question. Did it ever cross your mind at any point, I'm too good for the kind of work that I'm doing. This should be migrant laborers picking cotton. No, no. That, this is life. I mean, this is this is a life you're living. You, you, you didn't think about any of that. They, never. We, we never... We never heard what what a migrant worker was, except what we saw, what what we saw on the movie screen. Yeah, we did have people who came during uh, harvest times and worked, uh, and and uh, but most of those people were local people from other small towns around mm-hmm. us. They, they and everybody help each other during yeah, harvest time. From Mexico or Guatemala or yeah. Yeah. anywhere else. They, they, were, they were local people who had already uh, brought their crops in, as they, they say, and they, they were elsewhere working and making a little extra money. So Pe- the, People worked for a living back during that yeah. time. <laughs> also... Um, moving to the country he learned to uh, shoot uh, and accurately and he has told me that many times the only meat they had was what he could kill and um, and that's that doesn't happen these days I can't imagine the the pride of a 14 15 year old to bring a deer home or a turkey home to the family and then your deer is on the dinner table the next night. I can't imagine the pride that that would produce in a in a, a lot of squirrels. Young man. Lot squirrels. Of squirrels stew and yeah. Even today when I go to the country I can whistle up quail and sure. and everything and and like she says uh, when I was, you know, in high school there with a little single shot 22 uh, I would whistle up quail that they'd land on a fence post. I'd shoot their heads off. That's, and, that's amazing. And that doves. And that was supper. That that was supper. Uh, yeah, you, you're right. And uh, I, I really got very very good with with a little single shot twenty two that we had. And uh, and when I'd walk out in the field, covey of quail would jump up, and I could take that single shot twenty two. And as they're flying off, I could I could You're shoot kidding. one out of the air. No, I'm not kidding. And <laughs> and, and and later on, when I went to college and was in ROTC, uh, I I had to fire for record, and somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, "Boy, where'd you learn to shoot like that?" And I said, "What do you mean, sir?" He said, "Man, you're not gonna." the center out of that bull you know well I said uh, I thought I, that's what we're in I'm, I'm from the country you know I had to know how to shoot and he said how'd you like to shoot on the 
on the uh, college rifle team. So anyway, that, that's another story. And but that increased his salary two dollars or something. Yeah, <laughs> you. I'll just say you made the varsity shooting team, which there was a varsity shooting team at Sam Houston State. I have a college letter jacket up <laughs> up in the closet yeah. right now. And the football players, you know, got you remember they yeah, got yeah the varsity jacket. Well, I got a varsity jacket as well, and it had the big, the big target. emblem on it, but it had a, had a target on there. Yeah, and and then we could also fast forward to your um, your army experience. Same thing happened. It opened the door. And so. isn't it amazing how the Lord will take yeah. your? He takes the circumstances you grew up in. There's a verse that says, see a man, sorry why I get emotional. See a man skilled in the work of his hands. He will not stand before obscure men. He will stand before kings and rulers. And if we offer the Lord faithfulness in the circumstances in which we find ourselves, not not being proud, not being too proud for what's at hand, but being giving him excellence and faithfulness in the circumstances in which we find ourselves. He can build on that. See a man who's faithful in a small thing, I will give him in charge over much. And you're faithful to bring home a quail to mom, and the Lord goes, I, I can help you in college with that. I can help you in an army career. Amen. Just with something simple as like, I'll get good at shooting this gun. Isn't That's that amazing? Right. Yeah, Amen. it is. And I, I can tell you that that uh, I, I can remember the times uh, I, I would go out and and shoot a couple of doves or two or three doves and, and walk home with those doves, and mother was waiting for me to get what home. you got, Roger? You got what you got? What you got for supper? What's for supper? And, you know, and and during uh, and during part of the time that uh, that we were uh, living up there, uh, when I would pick cotton and everything, uh, my my uncle uh, who owned the field and everything would say, Roger, listen, uh, today I'm going to pay you just like you're you're working picking cotton, but I want you to go. And uh, we, we need some meat to feed all these field workers. Mm. And so I would actually take, he had a 22, and I would take that 22, go shoot some squirrels or rabbits, uh, whatever I could, I could, you know, get, come back, clean them, and, uh, and get them ready. And then uh, his wife then would, would cook them all up and, and have a, a, a beautiful meal for all the field workers, about twelve or twelve thirty, and 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 homegrown vegetables and all. I mean, it was it was really good eating. You, you'd have to you'd have to go to a real nice place in Houston to find the kind of food right. that we had. But you were getting paid to hunt. <clears throat> I was I was getting paid like I was picking the cotton or pulling cotton or or chopping the corn and everything because he, uh, it, Uncle Otis was his name. And he, uh, and and he already knew, uh, you know, because I'd been up there during the summer. Even when we lived in Houston, I would go up and spend a week or two at their place, and uh, that that's where I really honed my skills, you might say. This is something that uh, Mark and I hear 
repeatedly because it's something that books and seminars and media has reinforced over and over and over into the guys who I know are listening to this podcast. And what we hear is something about waiting for the job that expresses who you are perfectly. So sometimes guys will turn down job offers because they're waiting for the job that this is the exp- this is who I was made to be. I was made to do this kind of work. And so they 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 can um they can kind of wilt on the vine. One with the anxiety of am I doing the job that is the perfect expression of what I was made to do or waiting for the job that's that thing instead of just faithfully plugging away wherever they were planted. What do you have to say to those guys? I think that if a man wants to work, uh, I don't care if you're the smartest people that there are, you need to take whatever is available, and uh, if that's cleaning tables, washing dishes, if that's working at a gas station, pumping gas or whatever, that will provide an experience for you you can't get anywhere else and 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 the lord will open doors for you uh at those locations to to help guide you into where you need to go Mm -hmm. so somebody wants to be an artist but but uh they don't have the money or or anything to do what they want to do connections but there was there was a place open for them to work as a dishwasher or to flip, flip hamburgers or do whatever to get the money to take the training to get, become a good artist. So yeah. I, I think people miss the opportunity because now I'm not I'm not going to lower myself to take that job. Yeah, God uses every effort. That's right. He uses every effort and to, to to develop you into who he's he wants to use to glorify himself. And remember that old devil, the roaring lion. You know, he he put that pride in your heart, and you'll miss opportunities Absolutely. that that the Lord yeah. has presented to you. Yeah. And and I've often said that sometimes uh, when you think you're proud, the Lord has to cut your legs out from under you, get you flat on your back, so you'll look up to Him. Well, I'm thinking of, I can't pull up the reference at this very moment, but um, there was a prophet who said, The eyes of the Lord are ranging to and fro throughout the whole earth, that he may strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. Now, based on that verse, I think he could find you if you were a shift manager at McDonald's and he wanted to do something great with you. I think he could find you. Isn't that the truth? Yes, he can. Oh, that was Second Chronicles 16.9. That's right. Michael Shields would tell us it's easier to steer a moving car. And many guys experience the um, uh, paralysis of analysis. And they're thinking too hard about what could be or might be instead of dealing with what's right in front of them. Yeah, a rolling stone gathers no moss. Yes. So, you know, uh, and if you're, if you're sitting still waiting for something to happen, you're becoming stagnant. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, you, yeah. you need to be struggling to, to move ahead and take whatever whatever comes along uh, and, and it builds your resume it builds character confidence oh yeah all, all of those things mm-hmm. I'll throw out one more verse here 
this is Isaiah 30, 15. It says, when you turn to the right or to the left, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, yes. walk in it. But there's nothing in that verse that would lead us to believe that if you don't do anything, you'll hear a voice behind you telling you which way to go. You got to you got to move. I've often heard that, uh, you know, you you don't want to look backwards. Something might be gaining on you. You want to always look ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let's let's go on from you doing cowboy work and and, uh, gathering corn and running a tractor. Time to go to college. Well, yeah, when I, well, I wanted, I wanted to succeed. I wanted to, uh, I didn't want to chop cotton all my life, you know, that, that hoe handle just didn't fit my hands just <laughs> right, you know? And uh, so anyway, actually, when uh, in my senior year, uh, they were planning the senior trip, and uh, the superintendent of the school, Bob Ford, knew how, how I was trying to go to college and didn't have the money to go or anything. But he said, hey, Roger, I've got some people uh, over at Huntsville that I know, but you need to go over there this coming weekend. Well, that was the weekend they were all going to take the senior trip and be gone for a week. Make a long story short, I didn't go on the senior trip, which I was really looking forward to. Yeah, I pained you. But uh, he had an old Studebaker, and he took me to college, took me over, and uh, helped me get started got me enrolled, found me a place to live, and uh, I'll get emotional too. Fine man. Very, very fine man. Fine man. But as a result of that, uh, you know, I I got into college. I got a little, I think it was a $50 scholarship that (laughs) that helped pay my first semester. Wow. And... uh, he helped me get get a job in. He knew some people at the cafeteria, and that's where I got I got my first job at the cafeteria, which assured me I had enough money. I, I didn't have to have money to eat. I could eat at the you cafeteria because I worked at the cafeteria, and that's uh, that's one of. The was things. that lucky or was that God's provision? <laughs> oh, oh, that was that was God's provision. God said, and uh, I've. I've uh, <clears throat> I thank the Lord for old Bob Ford many, many, times. many times. Many, many times. times. I hate that I get uh, emotional when I tell these things, but uh, it's it's very humbling when you think about the God that created the heavens and the earth took care of me during those times. There was something that Bob saw in you mm-hmm. that distinguished you to him. And I know we're guessing, unless he told you outright, but, but what he saw was initiative in you. He saw that if this kid is given something, he'll, he'll be faithful with it. He'll turn it into something else. Bob Ford had a background similar to mine, and he could see, he could see those who wanted to, to get ahead and succeed and, and had to work for the things that they got and was willing to do that. And uh, anyway, uh, I wasn't the only kid he helped. Right. <laughs> he, he helped anybody that was really trying to to uh, 
have a better have a better life. He wanted to help you. But what a connection for you just oh. to just to make that transition into university life. University life must have been the the, str- the strangest faraway land for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but yeah, that's that's true. Well, once once I got into college, then, and by the way, I I started in the summertime. Uh, you know, when when school was out, uh, I was able to get over get over there and work during the summer. And there were windows open during the summer because students were gone. There, well, yeah, and and they still had summer classes as well. You know, but I was able to secure. Uh, the job there, uh, McCullum and Gresham uh, downtown uh, did re- retreads, tires and all, and, and Bob knew one of the McCullum guys, and I went down and, and uh, they hired me. They also had a shop where they, uh, they repaired tires and all, and, and I learned how to change big old truck tires. I had, wow. Uh, had a black gentleman there named Julius, and uh, I I worked hard for a week or ten days just struggling, and uh, it, soon after that Julius came up to me and said, "Listen here, Roger," said, uh, "You know we had some college boys work here and said they worked two or three days and they gone." He said, I see you, you're really working and trying to learn. He said, I'm going to show you how to handle these old big truck tires. And I, and, and I said, well, I sure, I sure appreciate that, Mr. Julius. And, and he showed me how you take those rings off without having to work, work yourself for 30 minutes to get them off and, and how to put them in the, the guard rack so that when you aired them up, the ring didn't blow off and take your head off and all. And uh, he weighed about a hundred pounds. So, yeah, I so weighed, he was wrestling those tires like crazy. I think I, I think well, I think I'd gained up to 140 maybe by that oh, time. Really? But but anyway, uh, so good. so <laughs> anyway, even even Julius recognized that hey, this this kid's trying to learn, and he and he helped me. So, you know. And then what was the third job you were doing concurrently? When I was in ROTC, I found out that if you stayed in that little program and drilled, they'd pay you $28 a month. What? Yeah, for doing the marching after hours and everything, you know. And I said, shoot, what are you talking about? Man, I can do forward march. I can do that. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, that that's what I did. I stayed in the ROTC, and then uh, there was a... There was a, a little short order. There was a little grocery store that had had a short order uh, where you get hamburgers and hot dogs and and cook uh, cook breakfast for. We're right across from the girls' dorm, and so I went to work for them. So I was a short order cook for all the pretty girls. Oh, all the pretty girls. I, yeah, I, I became a big man on campus because all the girls knew me. They all knew you. <laughs> yeah. Well, let, let me just say, the, the, you were in ROTC. Um, certainly, it was a, I think it was probably a more... The military, in general, was a more honored thing oh, yeah. than it is now. Oh. It was a way to gain social status and kind of, you know, become a man. But it was, but also, I'm guessing you were in ROTC because there were financial benefits for being in ROTC. Yeah, and we had ROTC classes that that I took, 
but then if you wanted to to stay in ROTC, you know, and and get get a commission, yeah, then you had to do all the drills and all that kind of stuff. Right. But they were going to give you twenty eight dollars a month. Hey, shoot. Hey. <laughs> but we could also fast forward that that you know it's the same faithfulness that Julia saw in you. We could fast forward and see that. You're taking advantage of that opportunity of the ROTC and skilled marksmanship at at, at uh, Sam Houston State University. We can fast forward. You became a commissioned officer in the Army. That's right. And then now you're in Korea. And, and how could you possibly have fast forwarded or imagined that God would let you be an officer? And, and I know we've told this story on podcasts before about you do, you putting on a rodeo in Korea yeah. and that was like rivers the confluence of rivers of all of the your experience of your life the things that you had learned faithfulness and here you are talking to dignitaries of other countries to put a rodeo on you know just where's this little country boy from Iola Texas you know yeah and and i i just find it fascinating to that um, there's a scripture that says, do not despise the day of small beginnings. Well, and we see the seeds in your life of if you had not taken advantage of this opportunity, that worked hard, put not retreading truck tires, not worked hard to put the, take the head off of that quail, not worked hard at stacking hay in, the, in a metal roof barn, what, where does your life end up? It doesn't end up at this table. I don't know where it ends up, but it doesn't end up at this table. Not in this no telling. All right, go ahead. What were you, what were you saying? You, you wanted him to tell about they would pay him for rabbits. Whenever I was in ROTC, you know, you had to go down fire for record, you know, and they gave you, you had nice, nice, uh, uh, rifles. Nicer rifles than you'd ever oh, held. Oh, yeah. yeah. You, you had to shoot uh, sitting, standing, kneeling, and uh, prone. And, and anyway, uh, somebody tapped me on the shoulder as I was shooting and said, boy, where'd you learn to shoot like that? And, and I said, well, I'm just an old country boy, you know, and everything. He said, well, listen, you can shoot on the Sam Houston rifle team and said, Hey, uh, when you go home, said we'll give you all the twenty-two shells you want, and you can take and go home and practice as well. We want you shooting on the college rifle team. So this I, was their way of sending, give, giving you a basketball court at home, so to speak. Was we'll give you unlimited twenty-two shells. That, that, that's right. So anyway, uh, wow. And what happened then is is. Uh, while I and remember, I'm still working down. I'm still working down changing truck tires and everything too. Sure. So anyway, I was down there and telling Julius about you know how how uh, the week before you know I I killed a, a little rabbit and and we had had great rabbits for supper and everything. He said, listen, he said, if you can kill a few of those and bring them up here, he said he said I'll buy some from you. He said I got lots of friends that buy buy those things from y'all. I said, really? Really? He said, yeah. And uh, I said, well, all right, I'll see what I can do. How much you pay? <laughs> he said, well, I don't know. We'll give maybe two, two or three dollars a piece. I said, well, thank oh, you very nice. much. <laughs> well, to make a long story short, my brother-in-law and I, uh, the next weekend when I went home, 
Uh, and man, I'm, I'm, go, I'm, I'm hitchhiking home to Iowa, Texas. Hitchhiking, yeah, from Huntsville. Yeah. And so anyway, uh, got home and I told Gerald, I said, Gerald, if we, we can shoot some, some rabbits, jackrabbits and cottontails and clean them and ice them down, I'll take them back. I said, then Gerald is your best friend. Gerald is my best friend and later on became my brother-in-law because we married sisters. Well, that's a good deal. It was a good deal. And so anyway, he said, well, tonight I'll get Grand's pickup and, and let's, let's go around the pastures and see what we can do. Yes. And he said, he said, uh, when we see some rabbits and all, I said I'll just I'll stop and you can. I, I, I stood up in the back of the pickup. I, t- I had a box of fifty shells. When we stopped that night about two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, I had shot fifty shells and we had forty-nine rabbits. High five. Yeah, boy. <laughs> Can you believe that? We clean rabbits. So, so in one, yeah, you had to clean them all. But in that one night, you made at least ninety-eight bucks. Something like that, you know. And of course, and I had to. I told Gerald I'd, I'd, I'd share some money with him, you know, for driving. Sure, a good driver. <laughs> but anyway, driver. I took him down, and Julius was so happy. And I and I told Julius, I said, Well, Julius, you you can have. You can have one or two of those yourself for, you know. And Finders he, fee. He said, I, I, I'll, I'll sell them all. And, uh, of course, he sold them all and came back, and I, I think I had like 80 or $85 or so whatever it was, you know. Isn't that a great story? And so, and so uh, I didn't, we didn't do that all the time. But, sure. But several times uh, I brought rabbits back. And uh, and sold them with Sam Houston <laughs> shells. <laughs> with Sam Houston shells. Free, free shells. <laughs> and and I did I did shoot by the way on on the college rifle team, and and uh, was was one of the better shots on it. That's great. And and also uh, the the other people that were on the college rifle team were country boys just like me. Mm. Two of them were from from. Uh, Navasota and then had had you know scattered around, but they were all country boys that learned were in the same situation I was. Learned to shoot because if you miss, you don't eat. You don't eat, and they. Well, you could you could also say these are guys who didn't they didn't despise where they came from. No, they were proud of whatever skills they had put together, and they would put their hands to the plow. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, well. I think we're running out of time, so let's just kind of shoot forward and, and just for everybody listening, give us a give us the thirty thousand foot view of where did you go from your college experience to to having the career that you retired from. Well, uh, after Korea, I had a business degree, a BBA, and uh, I saw in the paper that uh, Brown and Root was hiring welders. And I said, well, you know, if they're hiring welders and all, they're going to need somebody to do paperwork and and uh, and do administrative work. So I called, and uh, Gerald Smith was the personnel manager for Brown Root back then, and uh, I, and I told him, I said, Gerald, Gerald, I'm not a welder or anything, and I gave him my background, told him where where I'd come from, uh, that I'd graduated from from uh, Sam Houston State Teachers College back then and uh, gone, to, gone to Korea I uh, come home 
I, I needed a job. I didn't have, I, I said, all the experience I've got, you know, is, is working what people would call menial jobs maybe, but they were life-saving jobs for us. Sure. And he said, well, I can use somebody like you. He said, can you, can you go to work pretty quick? I said, yeah. He said, well, well if you'll come in tomorrow, uh, I'll I'll interview I'll have you interviewed. So anyway, I came in and uh, and went into employee benefits and uh, got hired in employee benefits. I, I went from uh, one one position to another and worked worked with our legal department on discrimination suits. So I learned I learned all of the the legal things that we needed to do, and then I also learned uh, um, learned. How, how to handle uh, situations where we had to go to court and all that. And then, and then when Brownwood got the uh, log cap contract working with the, the government, uh, they sent my resume over uh, to Bob Ellis, who was the project general manager for all of the Balkans for, for uh, about seven or eight different countries. And... Um, he saw my background, and I'd been in the military, and of course we were working for the military. And he uh, he told him, "Don't send me any more resumes. Send me this guy here." And uh, then that's that's how that came about. But on that resume was all the things we've been talking about. <laughs> <laughs> the Lord put together a resume for you that you couldn't have dreamed of, and I. You know, if you if we had could have talked to um, a sixteen year old Roger Manuel at Iola High School, he wouldn't have said that his ambition in life was to work in HR at a petroleum engineering company. Um, but if I can put words into your mouth, you would have said that you had ambitions about the kind of family that you wanted to lead the kind of man you want to be, and you would have had ambitions about working and making money. And again, you took that which was available to you, and the Lord took advantage of your faithfulness, mixed it in with your personality and your giftings and your proclivities, and put you down a road that ended up with you being this choice on the tail end of your career where the guy goes no more resumes that's our guy and you getting this cherry job leading this entire um several countries worth of of uh, of of service for this huge uh, corporation lots of responsibility lots of people that report up to you millions of dollars of resources at your fingertips yeah. dot 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 just because of your faithfulness mm -hmm. and God's faithfulness. Yeah. Now, Mom, I know we've given you short shrift on on this particular episode, but I just want to point out, you know, we we would certainly say that mothering is a vocation, and that is a job, and it yeah, might not yeah. produce it might not produce a, a paycheck, but we know that it it saves a family a ton of money for a, a mother to be a housewife, and it is a such an honorable, important job Amen. that God loves. Okay, we know that. You came into you came into work, vocational work at age fifteen when your mother died. That's right. 
And you became the housewife. That's right. Who ran the house. That's right. Because your sister was off at college. That's right. And because your brother, nobody expected your brother to run a household and cook mm-hmm. for everybody. The, you, you, so you became, if you will, a full-time worker at age 15. I did. Then you went off to school, and, and it always struck me um, that when I, was, when I was in school aged, that you were always working. You had made a decision, and God blessed it, that I want to be a full-time mother in as much as I can, and when my children are at school, I'm working. And where did that, where did that mindset come from? You know, I can't, I don't know. I just knew that I wanted to raise my own children. I didn't want to leave them with anybody, and God sent me jobs that I could work when y'all were in school. It was unbelievable. And I would tell the person that I, you know, that wanted me, I'd say, now, I can't get here till my children are at school, and I'll go home before they arrive. You had decided that if you worked for our school, you would have the same hours as us, and we could go to school together and leave school together. Genius. And it was, uh, and and the job opening was financial secretary at the junior high school, so... So that was a great, great job. Well, then that's when we lost everything, which we've talked about in another podcast. Yeah. But So I had to go get a real job. And so the summertime came when I was out of school, and I asked Roger, did, did, did he think I, they'd have temporary jobs at Brown and Root? And he said, sure. So I, I thought, well, y'all were both in college at the time. So I thought, well, I'll go um, apply for this temporary temporary job for the summer and then go back to to the school in September so I applied and um I was I was working and I went to have lunch with Roger one day and I'm sitting in his office when he I'm kind of waiting for us him to go to lunch and a man goes by his door and he looks in and Roger looks up and he says hey Joe and Joe says hey what you doing Roger says, uh, come meet my wife. And said, what you doing down here? And I said, well, I'm having lunch with him. I'm work, working part-time, uh, temporary for the summer. He said, well, I'm the the HR manager for Allied Industries. He said, uh, your account, do accounting? He's, and I said, yes. And he said, well, we have an opening for accounts payable manager at my at my company, Allied said, uh, would you be interested in applying for that job? And I said, no, no, sir, I don't think so. I said, I, I work for the school. I love my job there. He said, well, come on down and at least apply. And so I said, well, I guess I could. So I go down there and, and I apply, and and it was more than twice what I was making at the school. At the school. And I had both of you had started to college. I had, and I, I, I couldn't believe it. And I thought, my word, that's that's more money than I ever dreamed I could make with my little dinky degree. And 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 so I, I went to work for Allied, 
and it was a godsend because yeah, Roger and sure I could was. could ride together in the morning and ride together yeah. to work. We could suddenly be on the HOV lane, yeah. which was a dream come true for yeah. Roger because he drove an hour to work for 40 years. For 40 years. And um, I was able to pay for y'all's college, and um, I worked there 11 years till they moved to Pasadena, and I wasn't going to. And they offered me a a that job, job in Pasadena, <laughs> and they said they would come and get me at my oh house, my and they would they would drive me to Pasadena and pay me from the time the driver picked me oh up my till the time he brought me back home at the evening. She was an excellent employee. And I and I and I uh, didn't want to. Things. No, I didn't want to do that. Well, um, <clears throat> in conclusion. Um, uh, I know that I know we always have God's grace to thank. I know that God, there we got nothing without God's kindness. Amen. We got nothing without His provision and His protection no. and His leadership. However, can you can you recommend to any of our listeners a shortcut that would keep them from having to do hard work? I don't think there is one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't if, think so either. if I could recommend it, I would have followed that all of my life. But uh, no, I, I think uh, they always told me if you, you know, when, whenever you worked in the field and everything, you were called hands. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they said if you if you looking for two good hands, look at the end of your arms. Yeah, I, I love our family story, and I appreciate you both for for. I know that I know that the choices that you made at age ten and fifteen and twenty, you weren't thinking of me and what I would be doing at age forty-eight. But I'm certainly grateful for all the choices that you both made and your faithfulness to work. And uh, even you know, you had you both had, Dad, yours got started later, but you both had biblical foundations that you operated by, and all of your adult years you operated by those by those biblical truths and those biblical principles. And I'm on the receiving end. And indeed, everybody that's listening to this is on the receiving end. So thank you. And um, our listeners are going to hear this after Father's Day, but Father's Day is close at hand. And I bless you, Dad, for for being a provider and for, um, you know, not being the kind of man who takes his, who works, gets paid for it, and then squanders it on stupid living, but instead brings that uh, resource home to his family so that we could all be enriched. And, you know, Mom, you talk about working during our college years. I think my sister and I finished college with zero debt. Mm-hmm. And the, the, we had college degrees, and the world was our oyster. Mm-hmm. We, could, we could go get any job we wanted. We could go live anywhere we wanted. She chose, she chose to work for a little while and become a full-time mom when she got married. I, I did all number of things with the freedom that y'all's work and faithfulness um, uh, earned for me. So thank you all. Happy Father's Day in retrospect to everybody who's listening. And thank you, a Grandma and Poppy, for joining us for another episode. Any closing words? Thank you, son, for... Uh... For all, for all you do, and we love you very it much. It was our privilege. Yeah. It was our privilege. Well, thank you, and I just want to tell everybody, keep working. The Lord will meet you in your work, 
He will give you work if you will work. But he can't give you work if you won't work. And my last word would be, the, uh, the harder you work, the luckier you seem to be because God will favor you. Bless you. That's right. God will to, bless you. Yep. God will bless you. And you can't outgive God. You used to tell me that uh, on the basketball court. It's like, Dad, you'd say, son, the, the harder you'll work and the more shots you'll take, you'll find the luckier that you will become. Yeah. Yep. Incidentally, we never, never, ever didn't tithe. That's when we started saying. out, we we tithed right. whether we, you know, if we were if we were just eating beans. And whether you could quote that, quote afford to tithe or not. That was the first check written exactly from the time we married. Exactly, we both were committed to that. Yeah, that's great. You can't outgive God. Can't, can't outgive God. Well, thank you for your time, and we'll see you next time, everybody. <laughs>